0: Before we jump into the message, I've got some things, some housekeeping stuff that I want to talk to you about, some stuff that I'm privileged to be able to talk to you about. Uh, if you've been around Grace for a while, you know that I don't really talk a whole lot about money. Um, that's by design. We probably sh- I probably should talk about it a little bit more. Uh, but um, in, J- in December, we have the opportunity for a Christmas offering, and we're getting ready to do that right now. Christmas offering is a great opportunity for you to do good, both in the city as well as in the church. So I'm going to give you five. We have our biggest Christmas offering goal yet. And uh, we, um, we have five big initiatives that we're doing that will help us kind of accomplish some amazing things next year. So what we do here right now and what we do over the next several weeks before the end of the year will actually set us up for the next year and how that year is going to go. And we always talk about this spiritually, but it's also true with our finances. When we show up, God shows up, right? So I'm gonna ask you to give sacrificially and I'll talk to you a little bit about how Kelly and I do that because we design our life around giving. And so I want to... Um, I want to talk about some things that we do here. Um, So we've got five things. The first thing is this. Our Oviedo campus has just taken off and it's doing really, really well. We've got hundreds and hundreds of people out there meeting in a small little elementary school. We're going to give them a weekday office space, uh, ministry space for Grace Oviedo. We're going to actually have our second location for our counseling center out there. We're going to expand that out there as well. We're also going to have the opportunity for them to have classes during the week. Remember, we were portable for 14 years. And what happens when you're portable is you disappear uh, off of Sunday. So from from Monday to Saturday, the church doesn't seem to exist in the community. This will give us a, a face and a, and, a, and a place inside the community. Great next step for them. Also, by God's grace, God opened a facility up for us that we're gonna be sharing with the school in Winter Garden. Our Winter Garden campus is jumping in to a... Uh, a weekend space that gives us total, you know, um, flexibility uh, to be able to hold services. That's going to be amazing. Um, guys, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the counseling center has just exploded. We talk about it here, but we've never done any outside advertising or anything like it. But it's the, 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 the number of people that we're counseling has gone parabolic. It is just off the charts. And the reason for that is because your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people in the city around you, they're broken. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, the decisions that we have made in our lives where we have not walked God's path, and as a result, we end up like running into a wall, and that breaks things inside of us, right? And then number two, things that other people have done to us and to them that have caused great and terrible pain inside their life. So when we started opening these counseling centers, um, and by the way, Just so you know, there are plenty of counselors in Central Florida. There's just not great counseling in Central Florida, okay? And and here's here's how I'm defining that also. I don't just want to fix somebody's marriage and then send them on their merry way. What I want to do is help them in their marriage, but I also want to point them to Jesus because psychology is not our hope. Jesus is our hope. Psychology is the tool that gets us in the door to be able to help them take their next step toward Christ. And that ultimately is where they're going to find true and lasting healing, where their priorities will be transformed. We're doing some amazing things when it comes to our counseling. Center. like i said we 're expanding it so we're going we 're going to need to be able to do that but also Uh, Number four, we're establishing our first ever grace counseling uh, and teaching and healing scholarships this year for people who want to go into Christian counseling and also into the teaching fields. And so, we're actually going to not just have counselors; we want to train counselors. We want them to be able to be trained biblically and spiritually, so they're able to do that. Most people that go through, like myself, went through master's degrees programs of of counseling. You know, we're not trained to do the Bible part of this whole thing, but we want to be able to help them do that. Also, for some of you, you're like, I want to help in the counseling ministry. I hear it all the time from people in the church, but but I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I don't know, I don't know what to do. Um, here's one of the things that you can do. I've actually changed the entire model of counseling at, at Grace. And so the average counseling session costs anywhere between $120 an hour to about $175 an hour a session, right? 50-minute session, right? And so what we've done here is basically the maximum amount that we have charged right now is $75. Just cut it in half. But for many people, $75 is still a lot of money per week to be able to go to counseling. So if you want to help somebody grow spiritually, help them recover from things that are going on in their life, scholarship them. We're going to start scholarships so that when they come and they can't, they're not able to be able to afford it, they can apply for a scholarship. And there's an application process, and that process will be based on all kinds of criteria. You know, We're not just going to willy-nilly hand things out. But it's going to be a, something that creates access to mental health, biblical mental health stuff in Central Florida that has just never been the case before. And so I want to just encourage you to jump into that with all your heart. And then number five, we're also going to support Commission 127. We have already supported them uh, for years. In fact, Grace was the, um, the first uh, support that they ever raised, okay? Commission 127, if we're going to be about life and we believe children matter, especially, you know, infants, children, uh, and if we believe that's important, then we have to do something to step alongside family that are doing something. I was talking to a woman last week who was just carrying around a baby, and I said, "Your baby's beautiful." And she said, "Well, it's not mine. It's a foster child." And I said, "Wow." I said, "It's got to be really hard." And then she wrote me an entire letter. It was amazing to talk about like foster care and like what it's going on, what it means for her to be a foster parent. It was beautiful, actually, and it was amazing because. Um, what Commission 127 does is not actually foster children, but it comes alongside families that do that because it's very hard on the families that go through this whole process. So they give them a day out. Sometimes they come alongside, resource them, encourage them, support them. So they're the ones who are actually doing all the caring. And it's an amazing thing to do. That is a calling. It's amazing. Let's help them do that really well. This is our opportunity, guys, to be able to do some good, both inside the church and outside the church. And so, in order for us to be able to accomplish this and what else we have to be able to accomplish next year, this is the goal that we're gonna be shooting for this year for our December offering, 1.5 million. So we're gonna be trying to raise $1.5 million. And, and you know what? Uh, here's what I promise. If you show up, we'll be able to hit it, okay? And, 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 here's, and here's, here's what that simply means. Um, if you're a regular giver at Grace, first of all, thank you. If you're a person who's here at the church and you've just never given to Grace before, this place is eminently investable, okay? It just is. This church is doing amazing and incredible things and you should both invest your time here, your resources here, your heart, your friends, your family. We're not gonna do stuff when you invite them that they're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming, right? Like it's, it is a place where you can bring them and it's gonna be normal and it's gonna be helpful to them. That's, that's our promise to you. And so if you show up, uh, God will show up and do extraordinary things. There's always something that happens that is amazing. God shows up in the heart of it. One giver does something beyond what we can imagine. And I just wanna encourage you, that takes everybody to do it. So we're looking for 100% participation in the Christmas offering. It's going to be amazing. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. This person gets a gold star, the rest of you. (laughs) Not so much. All right. Well, let's dive into uh, Advent uh, right now. Um, Advent is the season that we're in right now. So we're actually taking a little bit of a break from the Romans series And uh, as you know, we're doing like 40 weeks inside of Romans, but at the end of the year, we do Advent, right? And so what is Advent? Advent, this is what Advent is. Advent is the beginning of the church year for most churches in the Western tradition. It begins on the fourth Sunday before Christmas Day, which is the Sunday nearest November 30th and ends on Christmas Eve, December 24th. If Christmas Eve is a Sunday, it's counted as the fourth Sunday of Advent with Christmas Eve proper beginning at sundown. So the word Advent means coming, Uh, it means coming, and it means arrival. And so when we're talking about Advent, we're talking about two things. We're talking about celebrating the coming of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus as an infant who would then grow to become for us the Savior who would open eternal life to us, give us, free us from our sins, free us from condemnation, free us from the judgment of the world, and free us from God's condemnation over us because of our sinfulness and let us go once and for all. We will have eternal life and reconcile. God will reconcile us to him through Jesus. And that's what he did. But then the second part of it now, because we live in the in-between times, the time of Jesus coming and the time of his second coming, where he came as an infant here, he comes as a king here to return and claim his church, as I talk about often in the communion service. So these next four weeks, spend some time getting to just kind of reflect on the fact that Jesus came and died for your sins. And it's an amazing thing that really Christmas is not just about materialism and, a giving, and, and giving a bunch of toys and presents and stuff like that. It really is spiritual by nature. And so also look forward to the time that Jesus returns because when we know where we're going, where we are right now is placed into a different kind of context. So that's really kind of where we are right now. Um, as you know, when we, if you've been around here for a while, Grace is very, very far ahead in terms of its planning. We have already finished the sermons that we're preaching right now for next year, right? We're ready to go. Outlines, the whole thing's ready to go for all of that. Now, listen, here's, here's, here's what we're doing right now, though. We're actually looking at stuff that we were looking at in the middle of COVID when it was the worst, and we were asking, what does God need for us to do in this situation, and what will we need a year from now? And of course, we're not prophets, so we can't see the future. But God orchestrates in faithfulness when we show up, then God shows up. I showed up like, like uh, two days ago. Um, I was watching the news and Omicron popped on the screen, right? This is the new variant that's out there. Who knows? Don't worry about it right now. There's nothing to worry about. There's nothing to do at this point in time. We'll just, we'll see what God does over time, right? As this all becomes clear to us. But when we're thinking about a certain kind of Christmas, One of the things that we looked at was we said, we want to instill in the hearts and minds of the people that attend grace that there is an ability to be certain. We have an ability to be certain about things, even when the world around us is completely uncertain. And right now, one of the things that we need to learn, and if you've already learned this, good on you, but if you haven't yet learned this, this is an important spiritual and emotional and psychological principle, and that is you do not control the world around you you do not control the world around you. Just like you don't control the people around you, you don't control the world around you. What we do control is where we point our life and what we point our life at. So I want you to see a principle that will underline the next four weeks of, of the of series. And it's this. Certainty is built on choices that have been invested in the right things. Here we go. So how do we build certainty? Certainty is built on choices. I want you to note that certainty comes from decisions and choices that you make, not feelings, and not insights in other words some of us have outlived we have outlived our insights in other words we are we know a whole lot but we're not living a whole lot right so so if you want to make changes in your life and move from an uncertain person to a certain person you have to change what's on the inside here and you do that by acting certainty is built on choices that have been invested in the right things So there's two different types of certainty that are in people right now. People you know, family, friends, your neighbors, you, me, all of us. And it is the certainty that comes from the past that we have lived, right? Because where we are right now is the only place we can be. We can't be in the future because it hasn't happened. and We can't be in the past because it's already happened. But what we can do, just like in the Bible they did frequently, when Israel crossed from the desert of Sinai into the promised land, they built these things called stones of remembrance, and the idea of the stones of remembrance were basic. And they basically said, we're going to build a little monument here. And this monument, every time someone walks past it, here's what it'll do for us. We'll tell the story of the fact that God rescued us from Egypt, that He healed us, that He brought us into a land of promise, beauty, and goodness. And we'll be able to tell that story to our children and to their children and their children. It's important that we root ourselves in things that are unchanging in this life because our life is constantly changing around us. So there's two different types of people that are filled with certainty. The first, first person is the person who's filled with certainty of the wrong kind. And the certainty of a wrong kind is you've invested in people that you shouldn't have invested in. You're maybe in relationships right now that you're like, this relationship, I'm not talking about your marriage, this relationship isn't working right now. And, and I need, you just need to get out of that relationship. It's toxic, it's bad. You invested in a company, it didn't work out. You invested in education man, you're like, I don't do anything with that. You invested in this, you invested in that, and stuff didn't work out. And then you look from the present moment back at the past and you go, wow, life really is uncertain. This was my father. My father was a man like this. He taught me when I was a kid, son, Michael, you need to watch your life because people are always out to screw you and they're always out for themselves. And so as a little boy, I grew up like kind of watching, suspicious of the world, looking around at people going, what's your true motivation for what you're doing right now? And it wasn't until I became a man, because when you become a Christian, you become a follower of Jesus. When I was a child, I would think like a child. But when I became a man, the Bible says, I put childish things away. I took my dad's perspective and I said, is this really true? And the answer was no. And as an adult, I've looked at people and I've said, they're not out to screw you. They're not out to take from you. They're not always out to hurt you. And as a result, I treated people differently with a kind of optimism, a hope, and a joy that's different. And as a result, what do you get back when you do that? You get back those things that, that, that comes back to you. Why? Because as you treat people, so they will treat you as well. I don't feel like the world is a dark and terrible, scary place. I feel like Jesus is in control. God is sovereign, and he is with us. Amen? Okay? There's no reason to walk around in fear and worry all of the time. My dad was completely and absolutely wrong. But he had built a life based on these kinds of certainties. Now, if you're that person right now, and you've said, you know what? This is me right now. I've built a life of uncertainty because I have had uncertainty. I've pointed my life, invested in the wrong things. Here's what you. Here's the hope for you. All you have to do, because all you can do is live in the present moment. You can't live in the future and you can't live in the past. All I have is right now. You can now, the Bible uses the word repentance. And the word repentance means turning away from the old choices you were making. So now what you can do is you can turn away from these old choices. You can repent and ask God's forgiveness and say, God, I'm going to walk the path you want me to walk and start walking. And here's what happens. You make a new choice. You invest in the right things. 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 And before you know it, now you can look back and go, I have a brand new, I have a brand new past. The past that was back there, it's gone. This past that I can look at right now, this is building certainty inside of me. You know how you're certain out here in the world when everything seems to be falling apart? You're certain in here. And that makes all the difference in the world. When you are certain in here, whatever happens around you, it's all going to work out. So let's take a look at a story. It's the story of Jesus's birth. And it is the story, honestly, of massive uncertainty in the birth of Jesus. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 it says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. All right, so let's take a look at this. The first word that I want you to take a, pay attention to is this word pledged right here. It's pledged. This is somewhere between what we have today, engagement and marriage. It's much more intense than you and I have with engagement. Why? Because, because uh, a pledge was Joseph coming to Mary's father and them making an agreement that Mary would marry Joseph, okay? Now, you might look at that and go, well, that's kind of not so great. Mary doesn't have an option in it or whatever. And the, I mean, that's just how it was. I mean, I'm not making a judgment about whether it's right or wrong, but it's still happening today. About 10 years ago, I got on a plane, and I was flying to Chicago, and, uh, and uh, there's a guy who sat down next to me. He was a Sikh. A fo- he was an Indian. They, they, they had, these are the guys who have, like, super righteous beards, they're like really curly and windy right here. And they're long like this. And they've got a turban on their head, right? Big, windy turban. It's awesome, right? So he sits down next to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm talking to him, right? <laughs> like, I, like I'm not, like I'm not gonna talk to that guy, right? So I said, hey, how are you doing? Like, uh, wh- where are you headed? And He goes, well, I'm headed to Chicago. And I said, well, that's great. And because uh, the plane's going there, and uh, and and I said that's I said that's great I said great that's awesome man, and uh, and and he said he said yeah what are you doing we exchanged some pleasantries and I said so you're gonna you have family up there and he goes yes my wife is up there and I said that's awesome I said uh, is she are, were you on business why are we guys separated Well, he goes I'm I'm gonna meet her for the first time and I was like come again, and uh, and he was like I just like I I'm gonna meet well, our families agreed when we were born that we would be you know we would unite in the kids and that's kind of what we're doing. And I'm like, have you seen her? And he's like, "Yes, yeah, she's very beautiful. I'm like, has she seen you? No, <laughs> I didn't say that. I legitimately did not say that. I didn't say that. Um, and he goes, he goes, yeah, I've seen her. She's very beautiful. And, and, and he goes, I hope she's really nice. And I go, I hope so too, man. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a big thing. That's a big thing. So, so he was pledged to her. And just like Joseph and Mary were pledged to each other, and in this thing, anything that is you know, outside the bounds of marriage in pledge is also the case as well here. So all of a sudden, she is found, listen to the passive language here, found to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. In other words, she didn't do something to be pregnant with the Holy Spirit. But, but ladies, I want you to imagine you are Mary. It's today. You've got a boyfriend, and you come and you say, hey, uh, sorry, I'm pregnant, and it's the Holy Spirit that did it. I mean, can we just can we just say like as guys? We're like, nah, nah, <laughs> nah, no, no, huh? nah, no. That's not, that's not a thing. That's never happened before. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, that's not what's happening here. And and, and so for Mary, she is, she is, has to come with this knowledge. And Joseph, just like most guys in the room, we'd be like, no way, that's crazy. What are you talking about? Just that's that's not right. And so Joseph is devastated. I mean, Joseph doesn't have any sense here in the text at this point in time of any kind of surety or certainty about Mary. In fact, anything he was certain about at this point is now just thrown out the window because he's clear that she has committed adultery on him, that she has been unfaithful to him. And as a result, he actually wants to do something about it. But let's take a look from Mary's perspective. Mary's pregnant with the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 135, it actually says that God sends an angel to Mary to explain to her what's about to happen because this would just be weird and devastating for her too. And the angel comes to Mary in 118 and says this. This is how the, sorry, in, one, uh, in Luke 135, yep. Yeah, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So all of this is going to happen, Mary. And then this word, so, is because the Holy one to be born will be called the son of God. So what's unique about Jesus that's different about any other person who's lived before him or after him is that Jesus is uniquely God and human in theology. We call this the hypostatic union of Christ hypostasis, the hypostatic. You don't need to remember that. It's not important. The hypostatic union of Christ is the combining together of divine and human to make one. And that's what Jesus was. He was fully man and fully God. And as a result, he was different than anybody and everybody. It uniquely qualified him for the mission that God sent him into the world to accomplish. In other words, if I said, I will die for your sins, I'm a sinner. And my death would not mean anything when it came to your sins. But Jesus lived a sinless, perfect, holy life because only God can do that. And because of that, he opened up eternal life to us when he died. And the father raised him from the dead. So Mary, when she hears all of this, like overshadowed, like what is, like, I don't know what this means. What would she feel like in this moment? Well, the Bible records it, actually, and we don't have time to look at it right now, but it's called the Magnificat. And it's a poem basically that she writes and it's bestowing the greatness of God and how amazingly favored she was. Listen, we talked about this for the last three weeks. Long, long time before Mary was born in the Garden of of Eden, Adam and Eve, they just rebel against God and they say, fine, we don't want all this beauty and goodness. What we're gonna do is we're gonna make our own way and find our happiness outside of you. And God goes, that's your choice. You can make that choice. But there's gonna be consequences that go along with that. And one of those consequences is that we're gonna be out of relationship with each other. But because I love you and I love my people, all of us, He's like, the status quo is not sufficient. But here's what's going to happen, Eve. One day, your daughters, 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 daughters is going to give birth to a son. And that son will defeat evil once and for all in the world and will bring restoration back to us, to all who would follow my son. We'll bring restoration back to us. We can be one, one more time. We can be one again. And Mary writes this whole thing because she knows that she has been chosen by God. And I think... As Protestants, as people who are just non-denominational Protestants, like we take Mary and we put her way down here and we bring her out for Christmas. And that's about it. And then we put her away. And Catholics take Mary and they put her way up here, right? And it's maybe a little bit much. This is a little too little and this is our problem. Like we a little bit too little. Because here's what the Bible says about her. It's just that she's highly favored and she's favored above all women. Amazing when you think about it. Like she was favored because she was going to carry the child, Jesus, who was not just ordinary, but he was God. Now, this causes a problem inside of Joseph. He doesn't know what to do with this. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic statement. The Holy Spirit has made me pregnant. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm sure she, she did all the defenses that she could possibly do, but Joseph didn't want to do it. Verse 19, he says this, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's take a look at this. So first of all, there are two things operating inside the heart of Joseph. Let's pull it up and then we'll come back to this passage. Two motives at work in Joseph. Number one, he followed the law and wanted to honor God. Joseph followed the law because that was the way a good Jew followed God. Number two, he loved Mary and wanted to honor her. So right now, there's this giant conflict. Let's go back to the scripture inside Joseph. How do I do that? Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law. I've got to honor God. She's done this thing, and it's been terrible. Yet, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. See, Joseph wanted to be a man who was faithful to God. And in order for him to be faithful to God, he had to have a wife who would be faithful to God. Listen, um, when we hire pastors around here, we're real slow to do it because we have such an amazing uh, internal uh, staff culture here. We love each other really well, and we're, we're, we just, they're my team, and, and, and I'll do anything for them. So whenever we hire somebody, it's always a little scary because you're afraid to mess up the, the mix, if you will. But when we hire pastors, one of the big things that we look at is not just all the qualifications they need to have to be pastors, but we also look at their wife. As Pastor Rick came to me a long time ago, and he said, listen, a pastor, a wife cannot qualify a guy to be a pastor, but he, she absolutely can disqualify him to be a pastor. Why? Because what we do is a calling. It's not a job. This isn't like some career that I have. I mean, my career went out the door when I chose the calling of ministry. And sometimes what that means is like, I've got to leave at like midnight because something's going on in the church or someone's going, having, having a meltdown or something's happening like that. And my wife's not like, I can't believe that. She's, you know, she's not all resentful and frustrated by that. Why? Because we called to do this together. And if you have, and, and by the way, you know who understands this the most? the woman or the guy in the room right now where your wife or your husband's at home because they're not Christian. And they cannot fully understand who you are because there's a part of you that's connected to Jesus. That's the deepest part of who you are. And your spouse will never understand that. And so we have to have wives that are like that. And so so what ends up happening is he's looking at this. He's going, I'm faithful to the law. Like I want to be faithful to God. She has to be faithful to the law like me. I want to honor God with my life. This causes a huge problem for him. Because right here... It says he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Let's talk about the cost of what would have, caught, what would have happened if he would have. If Joseph would have taken Mary and said, Mary, you, you were, I mean, and remember, Joseph's heartbroken right now because he's been cheated on. He had, he had all the right to be able to say, I'm going to take you before the elders of Israel and I'm going to put you before them. And then they would have stoned her to death in that moment. And you go, well, that's just barbaric. It still happens in the Middle East today. It's still a thing. There's a moment in the Bible that's so beautiful and I think Joseph actually combines these two things to, to come up with the most amazing solution. Jesus comes on a woman, right? And if I was a woman, whenever I read this passage, I think, man, if I was a woman, this would make me so mad. But there's a story. It's called the woman caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. Not comes forward about adultery, but like caught in adultery. I don't know how you catch someone in adultery and it's just the woman. <laughs> That's not a thing. So, so, so the woman is caught in adultery, Right? And there are these guys, and the story picks up with these guys, and they've got rocks in their hands, and they're about to kill her. And Jesus comes on the scene, and preachers speculate about what's happening next because we don't know. All we know is what the story says. And he leans down, and he's riding in the sand. And as he's riding in the sand, we don't know what he's writing, but every single one of these guys just drops the rock one by one and walks away. You know, we've, we've speculated that maybe he's writing down their sins. <laughs> or whatever it was, but he just dropped rock. At the very end, it's just Jesus and this woman. And he says to her, who is left to condemn you, woman? And she says, no one, sir. And remember, Jesus is not like you and me. When we forgive people, their sins aren't forgiven, but he's God. And he says to her, then neither do I. Go and be different. And it's this amazing moment of like grace. Grace like unmerited favor. She's done wrong in everybody's eyes. And yet he comes with grace and mercy. Christians, we are not people who scream for rights. We're not. Because if we scream for rights, God, give me my rights, give me my justice, then we perish apart from God because that's the death penalty on every single person in the whole world. I deserve hell myself. But I've been given mercy and I've been given forgiveness. And if you're in the room right now and you're just like, man, that just like, that that breaks my heart to think about that. Then good, I'm glad it should because God wants to give you mercy. He's not in the background holding it back. He's not being chintzy, he is generous. With his mercy and his grace, and all you have to do is appropriate it for yourself and say, "Yes, that's what I want." That's what she did. And so, what Joseph does is he says, "Listen, I'm, I know I should put you before the tri- put you before the elders, and then I should I should have justice on my mind. But I love you, and I don't want to expose you to public disgrace. So we'll do this quietly." Verse twenty. But after he had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. First of all, I love the fact that he has already made his choice to do the right thing before the angel shows up. See, God comes to verify the choice, to say, you know what, the decision that you made, why? Because certainty doesn't come from just having a new insight. It comes from making a choice. I'm going to choose a direction and point myself in this situation, in 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 this case, to mercy, to grace, because I love you. And I can't, I, can't, I, can't, uh, I can't do anything else. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. It's this right here that I think we go right by in the, in the, in the text. Joseph followed the law. He honored God with his life. He didn't want to be part of something shady. And so when she comes and says she's pregnant everybody's going to look at him and say, Joseph, you're the one, you defiled her. They're not going to look at her. They're going to say, Joseph, you didn't have self-control, man. What is wrong with you? And in our culture today, to be pregnant like that, in a way, it's not a shameful kinds of thing. In their culture, it was terribly shameful. And it could also result in, in them being ostracized from the community and the culture and and we're saying all of that is wrong that's not necessarily right but 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 we're saying just it is and so joseph gets ready to leave like right after this passage he's got to go to jerusalem because they're doing this census that's taking place and on the way over he's got to be with mary unmarried while she is visibly pregnant cuz she gives birth in the city of david and people are whispering and the angel comes and says, you've already made the right choice, Joseph. But now the consequence of that choice is I don't want you to walk around in fear. You've made the right decision. Listen, when you've made the right decision morally for yourself and no one else in the world thinks it's right, who cares? Can we be people of courage in that way? When someone says, hey, I don't know that you're right and you know that the Lord has spoken to you about this situation, then who cares? Who cares? Because the angel of the Lord appeared to him after he made the right decision, said, don't be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. By the way, what's inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. He uses the same words that the first angel used to explain to Mary what was going on. And I don't know about you, but I look at that and I think to myself, man, if I was David, I might be ashamed at that moment. I didn't believe her. I didn't discern spiritually what was really going on here. I probably said some things to her, maybe even to her father, that uh, were unkind in the process. I think sometimes what happens when we're thinking about certainty and trying to make ourselves certain in life, we look at stories like this and we go, well, yes, this is easy for Joseph to be certain because he actually had an angel appear to him. And we do that kind of negotiation with God sometimes. I'm not really sure at the fork of the road. Do I go right? Do I go left? Like, what am I supposed to do? God, if you'll just show me something, if you'll just give me a miracle, if you'll send an angel, which would just generally freak us out, not make us feel more comforted, we'd be like, that's an angel, right? Um, but we negotiate with God, it just actually, it doesn't work that way. It's actually more about making choices, not having a supernatural visitation. Let me show you an example of this. There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Gideon, and Gideon is an amazing guy. He's a warrior. He's actually, God said, I'm going to lift you up to save Israel. You know, you're going to fight on my behalf, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. So right there, we know that God's already promised this thing to, to, to Gideon, and he's questioning God. He's like, if you're really gonna do this thing that you promised you would do, which for me would be terrifying to ever ask God that question, because I'd be like, yes, sir. You know, whatever you say, God, right? He says, look, here's what I'm gonna do. Verse 37, look, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna place a wool fleece, right? (laughs) A blanket on the ground, right? If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. So the first thing that you need to know is that Gideon was, no, uh, was not unfamiliar with the, the idea that we're not supposed to test God. So he just decides, I'll take my chances, right? And he decides, I'm gonna do this thing. And look, if, it's, if it is dry and everything else is wet, well, we'll be good, God, and I'll believe you, right? And at that point, you're like, yes, verse 38. And that is what happened. That's what God did, what Gideon asked. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece out and wrung out the dew. It was a bowl full of water. And the ground, the grass, totally dry. So that should be the end of it, right? No. I don't know what what kind of boldness Gideon has here, but verse 39, then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. (laughs) Let me make just one more request. You can just see God. Really? Let me just make one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did... that night God did so, only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew. See, Gideon wanted certainty, but he he didn't wanna have any faith when it came to a certainty. And by the way, in order for you to be certain, you don't always need the proof. You don't need to have all the evidence. You just need to make the choice. And sometimes that choice comes by faith. He should have stopped at the very beginning, but he didn't. But it's not just Gideon's fault. Abraham and Sarah, when they were visited by an angel in the Old Testament, told that they were gonna have a child, they laughed and said, no, we're too old. Thomas, the apostle, one of Jesus' closest. Thomas, uh, actually, after his death, went on to India and did incredible things inside, of, inside uh, India. But Thomas wouldn't believe all the other disciples and wouldn't believe Mary's testimony that they had seen Jesus resurrected and that the disciples had met with Jesus and seen him resurrected. He said, unless I put my hand in his side, I won't believe he needed a miracle. There were people who witnessed Lazarus' rising. Mary and Martha were Lazarus' sisters. And he got really sick. And some disciples ran to Jesus. He was in a city just a little, a little way. And they said, hey, come right now and heal him. Because they knew Jesus was a miracle worker. They said, come heal him right now. And Mary and Martha are just waiting for Jesus to show up. And he dies. And when he dies, they do the thing that they do. They 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 don't bury people in the ground. They put them in caves and they put a big stone over the cave. But in the process, they wrap them with linen cloth, much like what we would look and think of like a mummy looks like. So he's all wrapped. He's all in there. Jesus shows up and they're just, sisters are mad. Like, why weren't you here? You could have fixed it. You could have done something. All we needed was a miracle, Jesus. And Jesus says, calm down. And he goes to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus like, (laughs) comes out. He's like. And the Bible says many believed that day and were added to the number of Christians. But then it also says some were watching and they didn't believe. And I'm just like, what else do you need? You know what it goes to show is that miracles and special visitations from God are not actually what makes us certain in life. What makes us certain in life is acting in faith and making a choice. Acting in faith and making a choice. Up on the screen, the principle Certainty comes from consistent choices that trust the character and reliability of God. Let's look at it again. Certainty comes from consistent choices that trust the character and the reliability of God. Here's how it ends. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord said to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus comes from an Old Testament uh, name, Joshua, one who saves. And Jesus came into the world to die for us. That was his entire mission was to lay down his life for us so that we could be reintroduced into a relationship with the Father so that our sins would be taken out of the equation so that you would not have to walk around in the personal shame of feeling the condemnation of God because you've done something wrong. That's why the Bible in the New Testament says there is therefore now no condemnation, not some condemnation, not a little bit of condemnation, not Sunday condemnation, not Friday night condemnation, but no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God opened eternal life to us and said, hey where we're headed down the road. It's going to be a good and beautiful picture. And you go, I fall down all the time. God, I've messed up all the time. And he says, I know you've messed up, daughter. I know you've messed up, son. But I'm the one who has picked you up by sending my son, Jesus, into the world. And so if we're gonna be certain in life, we have to first be certain of what's in here. Then we can be certain of what's out here. The way that we're certain about what's in here is we look back to the past and go, has God been faithful? Has he shown up over and over and over again? And if you've pointed your life at the wrong things for all the way up until this point in time in life, You make the choice right now to say, I repent and I'm gonna turn away from my sinful past. I did this too, by the way. I'm not talking about pointing my finger at you or judging you in any way. I'm diagnosing the problem right now. And that is that you have a sin problem. And that sin problem needs to be eliminated in order for you and God to be in reunion again, not to be in conflict with one another. And so you turn away from your past and you say, I'm not gonna do it anymore. And you start rebuilding a future, right? You do it every single day. You get up and you try to honor God with your life and you walk in his ways and you walk in his ways. You make choices to walk in his ways. And it won't take you long, a month, two months, three months, six months, a year. And you're gonna look back on your past. You're gonna go, you know what past actually makes the most sense to me? Is the last year. Not the previous 20 years or 30 years or however long it was, but the last year. Why? Because now I understand that walking in his way is a better path for my life because there's a future hope and there is a past that's been restored. And that is what God's doing in us. You wanna be certain about how to go forward, know where you came from, know where you're going because right now, God is at work in you. And all it requires is for you not to hear another sermon, but for you to take a step, Amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, there's, there are people here right now that need to take a step. And we ask right now, God, that they wouldn't just think about it. They wouldn't mull it over. They wouldn't just contemplate it. But yet they would actually leave the room and do the last thing that God told them to do. They would forgive somebody that needs to be forgiven. They would rejoice with someone who needs to be rejoiced with. They would encourage people who need encouragement. Father, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Thank you that when we read the Bible, it's more like our experience than not. It's not just all good all the time and everything's easy. It's a story of real struggle, real hardship, and yet it's the story of overcoming all of that. That's who we are in Christ. Paul called himself an overcomer. And that's who we are as church. That's who we are as people. We will not always be the broken down versions of ourselves that maybe we are today. One day we'll be the strong that help the weak. We'll be the ones that are able to stand with you, be rebuilding a past that, we've, that we will have moving forward. We know that in the future, we have you forever and ever and ever. And there is great joy in that, Lord. We're so grateful. It's in your name we pray, amen.